Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these words that Peter wrote so very long ago, and wrote certainly in the midst of great suffering and trauma and difficulty, uh, where a people were indeed crying out, how long, how long, Lord, have we hoped in vain? We ask that as we read these words this morning, we would find encouragement, we would find strength to take some next step of faith, whatever you would ask of us this day. Would you be with us? And would you meet us, Father, Son, and Spirit, in these words of Scripture? Amen. So uh, here we are in this Eastertide season, and I want to just sort of share a little bit of a story from last Sunday. So Stacy and I celebrated Easter with Connor and Emily here in our home. We enjoyed the time of worship. We, uh, we sat down for a lovely Easter meal together. We decided we would FaceTime Tucker in for our lunch. And we had a lovely time all together. We then cleaned up the table and then we headed upstairs to take a nap and silently wept as we fell asleep. And then we ended the day uh, taking a long walk through the neighborhood. What a strange, strange moment of life we are called to live in at this moment. It doesn't feel in any way like Easter blessing. It feels like a lot of waiting and a lot of crying out, Lord, how long? But I think it's fair to remember that Eastertide, this season in which we celebrate the resurrection, it has always been celebrated in a world in which the people of God are always taking to their lips the simple truth, the simple request, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we take that request upon our lips because we still live in the midst of this broken world. And so even when things feel fine for us, more or less, maybe you enjoy good health, maybe you enjoy good financial situation, we could easily begin to think of friends, neighbors, colleagues, or we could think more systemically into the world itself to parts of the neighborhoods of Philadelphia, to whole neighborhoods in Philadelphia, to parts of the city or to other cities and to the countries of the world in which the experiences of grief are the dominant reality on their horizon. The pandemic has certainly exposed many of these realities for each of us in fresh ways. We live with new fears and maybe now the fears are giving way to uh, moments of irritation, uh, moments of impatience, moments when we're really crying out how long. But these realities are the realities of a broken world in which the people of God ask that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And so over the next few weeks, we're looking at the epistle of 1 Peter, in which Peter takes us into this tension between experience of the joy of resurrection on the one hand and the continued experiences of grief and loss in our world. Uh, These realities, joy and grief, begin to commingle for the Christian in this world. Peter sets the tone right off in his introduction when he reminds his reader that they are exiles, you're strangers, you're scattered about. In other words, you are not home. So I want to think about the text that we just read this morning for a few moments with you. First, think about uh, just the promise of this living hope. You see that right off in verses 3 to 5. Uh, Peter, remembering the work of Jesus, his dying and his rising love, he says essentially this, that the work of Jesus on Good Friday and Easter has opened up a new path and a new trajectory uh, for world history and for our own history. We're a part of what he calls a living hope. We're born into this living hope. 
He describes it also as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, uncorruptible, and safely kept by God for you, who are protected by God for his coming salvation. The point is just simply this, it seems to me, that the plot line of history has been changed, of our history has been changed and altered forever. And nothing that we experience now in this life can unalter it, can change it. There's a beauty, there's a liberating fact to God's stability of grace and gift that we've each experienced. But right off, Peter is primarily thinking of something that is future toward the end of the plot line. But second, what about life now? And that's what we're all feeling, and those are the questions we're all asking. What does that experience of living hope look like in the midst of a world in which we still experience grief and trials and suffering? Verses 6 to the end of the passage that we read takes us into that reality. Peter observes that amidst their experiences of suffering and grief, that they also rejoice. They don't rejoice in the suffering or in the grief itself. There's nothing uh, particularly joyful about grief or suffering. Uh, They rejoice, rather, in the gift of God's grace, of this plot line that he's just mentioned, of this opening up of history, of our life unto the life of God. And more than that, They rejoice in the simple fact that they belong not just to the story, but to God's own self. Notice what he says in verse 8. Though you do not see him speaking of Jesus, you love him, and you rejoice with indescribable joy, and you're receiving the salvation of your souls. All of that is an experience that is happening in the midst of griefs, joy and grief together. The heat of the grief has not gone away. Ordinarily, sufferings, uh, feelings of suffering, or experiences of suffering, rather, feel like death simply because, as we've already commented in our worship today, it interrupts life, it interrupts love, it interrupts and sidetracks our dreams. But here, Peter reframes suffering for the Christian, and he says, one of the ways you might think about it is it's more like a refining fire that purifies a precious metal, something like, say, gold. This is an analogy, right, that Peter is drawing for the Christians, trying to help that early community of Christ sort of frame what is it like to live with joy and grief at the same time. Grief, or rather the joy of Christ's presence, doesn't take the heat of suffering away. The heat is still there. I think Peter acknowledges that. But what Peter wants the people of God to understand is that they are more precious to God, more valuable to God, than a precious metal like gold. Often in suffering, we don't feel valuable. We feel forsaken. We feel forgotten. We feel overlooked. We feel as though God is not anywhere near us. And maybe you feel that way this week, or maybe you have felt that way over the past weeks, or maybe you feel that as you look into the horizon and you ask, when will the pandemic end? Walter Brueggemann says, he's an Old Testament scholar, by the way, he says that God's people have always invited God into their experiences of grief and suffering through their prayers of lamentation. We invite God, he says, uh, to, to be near us in these experiences because we believe that God is near, that he's engaged. He's not a far off God. He's not an indifferent God, but he's a God who cares and is engaged and is present. 
And so in these prayers of lamentation, we seek solidarity with God. We want to know that he's near us, that he isn't simply aware, or he might not even, he might do more than deliver. He would actually be with us in our suffering. And he says, whenever we have this experience of God's solidarity and this prayer of lamentation, he said, God's people then become a gift of newness in this world of pain. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? In lamentation, we bring the pain of suffering of all sorts into active conversation and dialogue with God. It's the space in which we ask God as we think about some particular loss, not being able to be near a friend, not being able to enjoy the routines of a bodily life out in the world. Um, I don't know if you've felt this, almost certainly you have, if you've taken a walk in the city of Philadelphia or wherever you live, you have observed people wearing masks, people, uh, I, I noticed, Stacey and I noticed quite frequently when we're walking the dog, that people will jut to the other side of the cars in order to create that physical distance of six feet or more between us. What a curious world this is in which human beings are afraid of contact. So we bring that experience, the losses of that, into conversation with God in our own prayers of lamentation, and we ask that God would be with us in that pain. And we discover that he does, in fact, join us in our grief. It's the joy of his presence with us, but we're still in the same grief-stricken world and lives. Why? Because until we're with Christ, or until Christ returns, we are exiles scattered, praying for the kingdom of God. But God is with us, Peter assures his reader and assures us. Some of you may have seen or been watching the recent uh, series of Veritas forums that have been uh, online in virtual reality like the rest of us. But this past one that um, happened just a couple of weeks ago, the artist Mako Fujimura, he comments on the story of Lazarus's resurrection. Remember for a moment the story, right? Jesus is too late, right, in a sense. He arrives after Lazarus has died. And as he's moving in the direction of the tomb, he encounters Mary, who is weeping, and then Jesus joins her, and he weeps too. Mako observes that Jesus' tears seem meaningless or gratuitous. If you think about it within the plot line of Jesus' future action, what is he there to do? He intends to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why not in this particular moment simply say to Mary, hey, it's okay, I've got it, stop crying. Why not let's just jump forward or fast forward into the moment of miracle itself? Instead, Jesus takes time to join Mary in her tears. Think about that for just a moment. It's a space of solidarity. It's a moment when Jesus reveals what? That he is compassionately near Mary. He's with Mary in her grief. He joins her grief with his own grief. Jesus reveals in that beautiful moment a God who wants to be with us in whatever we're going through, in moments when we might be prompted to laugh or at a joke or just enjoy the beauty of creation or in a moment of grief when we're experiencing some profound loss. God is a God who wants to be present to us in the moments of history that we're actually living and not just his own glorious future. It's a beautiful portrayal of God that we discover in the person of Jesus. God is compassionately 
with us. He loves us. Do you believe that? It's only as we wake up to his compassionate presence that the plot line of this imperishable inheritance that Peter has first spoken of begins to take on new meaning in the midst of our experiences of grief and the brokenness of this world. The author Brennan Manning writes that the central miracle of the gospel is not the resurrection of Lazarus, and it's not the feeding of the 5,000, and it's not all the many healings that Jesus did. It's the fact that Christ is risen, and that in this very moment, Jesus pursues you. He abides in us, and he offers himself to us as companions for the journey through this broken world. May God give us grace to hold on to the truth of the resurrection, the joy of the resurrection, in the midst of our own present grieving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.